Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad you are awake. Uh, first service was not. Second service is. I'm glad you guys are here. My name is Pastor Cameron. Welcome. Look at this stage. Listen, we are getting ready to kick off our kind of truncated VBS next week, Vacation Bible School. Three days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're calling it Kids Camp, and we want your children aged three years old all the way to completed sixth grade. We're still doing registration right now. Bring your kids, bring your grandkids, bring your neighbor's kids. Get permission before grabbing your neighbor's kids, please. Pretty sure that's kidnapping online. We want to see your kids too. We're glad you're here. GBC online. Uh, Kids camp is going to be awesome. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then Wednesday night, we're going to have a service for everybody, including grownups, to come and celebrate what God did that entire week next week. So we're excited. Be praying about kids camp. And please continue to pray for the name of the student that you picked up or the leader last week. They had an incredible time at week last week, Camp Sparta. Kids got saved. Kids rededicated their hearts. The Lord began to build relationships with leaders and students. It was incredible. And we want God to continue to use this as a launching pad for our students to be lifelong disciple makers. And so we're excited about that. Uh, let's see. Last announcement. Uh, last year, wait, no, more importantly, um, our fearless pastor, I think, just got done participating in the Heartland Triathlon. So y'all make some noise for him. And all the rest of you crazy people who like to sweat for fun, I, I, I applaud you, um, but you're crazy. Um, uh, he may make an appearance this morning, or he may be recovering with oxygen. I don't know. Um, but more power to him. Last year was the first year that we got to host, as a premier host site, the Global Leadership Summit. Don't know if you've ever heard of GLS. It's been going for 26, 27 years. It is a world-renowned leadership uh, conference, two days long, where they've got leaders from every industry field. It's, it's evangelical, but not every speaker is a Christian. They've got folks from all over the world, every industry field, and it is a shot in the arm for leadership. And I know that word leader is scary to so many people, but leadership really is influence, and everyone has influence, if even they're influencing and leading themselves. And so we want to encourage and invite all of you to come to GLS. It's August 5th and 6th. Watch this really short video. Hopefully, it will encourage you to be a part of it. Leadership is not a title. It's not found in a corporate office after years on the job. It's not limited by age. It's not even about business. Leadership is a relationship. It's understanding others' ideas. It's listening. It's recognizing the value in those around you. Will you be the leaders that challenge us to aim higher? Dream bigger and shine brighter? Join your peers to learn a fresh perspective. On August 5th and 6th at the Global Leadership Summit. Leadership is influence. Everyone has influence. We see the influence in our community. Do you? 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 
hey, DBC, we want you guys to be a part of that. Last year was the first year we did it in the middle of a pandemic. We ended up having 130 folks in here from every industry in, in the Heartland region, Highlands County. And so we're going to pack this place out again with community leaders, CEOs, uh, people in the school board, and really everywhere. But we also want UGBC to be a part of that because we believe that when a leader gets better, everybody gets better. And we lead our homes and we lead ourselves. And so we've got a premier host site, $99 per ticket. We don't make any money off of this thing. Uh, really, we had a conviction in our heart that we wanted to be used by God to raise the leadership capital in our community. And this is one of the ways that we can do that. And we'd love for you guys to be a part of that. Okay, Acts chapter 21. Good news. Pastor Dustin sent me a picture. He survived. And all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, uh, Dustin actually was convinced that he was going to try to come and preach when he got done. We're like, no, you're not. No, 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 we got it. Don't worry about it. But here's what happened. Um, as I was studying the next passage in the book of Acts, chapter 21, verse 17, which was coming up next, I was reminded that all of God's word is equally inspired, but not all of God's word is equally inspiring. Uh, because this week's passage was one of those like, uh, this isn't going to be fun. Yes, Paul paying for the haircuts of four guys who we don't ever get to know their name. Life-changing stuff, let me tell you. And it is, because God's word is living and it's active and it's relevant. But the good news is, is that we don't just, uh, we're not just sticking around in Acts 21 uh, this morning. I've got a much larger task this morning. Here's what we're going to try to do this morning. We're going we're to skip a rock over the next six chapters of the book of Acts. Acts 21, 17, all the way to the end of chapter 26. Here's why. Uh, one, that section of text has one specific theme, and I'm going to unpack that for us in a little bit. But two, we only have three weeks left in the book of Acts. And so we want... We want, to be, we want to get out of it, okay, frankly, that's what we, we're, we're ready to be done. Uh, this is the longest we've been in a sermon series in a while, six months in the book of Acts. Uh, but no, there's, there's one steady theme throughout this entire section of text. But before I unpack that, if you're new to the conversation, we've been walking through the book of Acts since the very beginning of this year, beating the drum of mission. See, we wanted to see what, what does it look like for the people of God to be equipped and indwelt by the Spirit of God, living on mission for the sake of God's kingdom. That, that's what the book of Acts is about. Jesus died on the cross, rose for our salvation, returned to the right hand of the Father, and sent his Holy Spirit to dwell inside us and the people of God, indwelt by the Spirit of God, on mission for the sake of God, is what happened in Acts. And we've been following for the last 20 chapters the way that the Spirit of God has been at work in the people of God, establishing the church of Jesus Christ and spreading the good news of the gospel around the entire known world. What's cool about the book of Acts is it never really ends. Acts chapter 28 ends like this. And Paul, with great freedom, had Bible studies in his house. Period. Here's why, because we are living Acts 29. God's not done, and the Spirit of God is still at work. But we have been beating this drum of mission over and over and over again. Not just these last six months, for the last couple of years, we have been calling you, the Church of Jesus Christ, to live in community and on mission where you live, where you work, where you learn, where you play, calling you to a great commitment to the Great Commission to make disciples who make disciples 
See, the anchor verse for the entire book of Acts, chapter one, verse eight, Jesus says, and you will be my what? Witnesses. Where you live, Jerusalem, where the surrounding community, Judea and Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth, you will be my witnesses to make disciples. Now, what does it mean to be a disciple? Well, here's our definition at Grace Bible Church. A disciple is one who is increasingly submitting all of life to the leadership of Jesus. All of life, not just Sundays and Wednesdays for you double dippers, but all of life, your heart, your mind, your hopes, your aspirations, your dreams, your sexuality, your relationships, your pocketbooks, your home, your gifts, your time, your treasures, your talents, all of life. Now what is discipleship? It's inviting others to do the same. Learning to submit all of our life to the leadership of Jesus and inviting other people to do it alongside of you. See, our passion as your elders and pastors is to be obedient to the word of God, to equip you, the saints of God, for the work of the ministry. And here's the deal, folks. We, we don't have any other choice. We don't have any other choice. But for you folks, as the people of God, assembled in the Heartland region, to be so convinced and convicted by the mission of God that you will begin to submit all of life to the leadership of Jesus and invite other people to do the same where you live, where you work, where you learn, where you play. And to do that, we're gonna need to start to care and love one another like family. You know, one of the most compelling and attractive pictures of Christianity is when the people of God love each other like the family of God and then invite the world into being loved like that. Now. For that to happen, it's going to take some of y'all looking up and down the aisles, finding people that look cool like you, and then inviting them over to your home for coffee or dinner to get to know their story, and you get to know their story, and you begin to ask God, what, what might it look like for us to lean into the lostness of our neighborhood and our workspace and where we work out and the schools that our children go to? What might it look like for us to saturate the Heartland region with the good news of Jesus Christ? That's what we've been talking about throughout the entire book of Acts up until right now. See, Acts 21 is a little different. Acts 21, verse 17, is a kind of a watershed moment for the Apostle Paul. Uh, Pastor Dustin last week did a brilliant job helping us to discern the voice of our Heavenly Father in the midst of a myriad of other voices. Everybody's got an opinion, right? They smell like belly buttons, I think. And they stink. I don't know if that's the right way to say that. or I, I don't know. But everybody's got an opinion, and everybody's got a voice, and they all want to tell us what they think is God's best for our life. And so Paul has been hearing clearly from the spirit of the living God, go back to Jerusalem. But you know what all these other voices have been telling him the last couple of chapters? Paul, don't go back to Jerusalem. Paul, trouble's waiting for you back in Jerusalem. Paul, chains are waiting for you in Jerusalem. Paul, man, don't go back to Jerusalem. Suffering is waiting for you. But suffering wasn't anything new for the apostle Paul. The last 15 to 20 years, he'd been serving Jesus and walking in obedience to the call of God on his life. And Paul has suffered. You want to know? Go look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 on your own time. You can see a long list of the ways in which he has suffered for the sake of the kingdom of God. And here's the deal. Paul understood very clearly that Jesus was a man well acquainted with grief, a man of sorrows, the son of man who had no place to lay his head. Jesus said that himself in the gospels. Foxes have nests and birds of the air have 
Uh, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Paul understood. Why would it be any different if God was making me more and more like his son Jesus? And so he understood the cost of going back to Jerusalem. He had a clear sense of the danger that awaited him, and yet it was the heart of Jesus in Paul that compelled him to go and to carry the name of Jesus to Gentiles and to kings and to governors and to procurators and to the children of Israel. And so here's, here's a helpful way to think about this season of Paul's life and ministry, okay? Acts 21, 17, all the way to Acts 26. Here's a helpful way to think about it. You know how in most sports, there is an offense and a defense, right? You tracking? The offense is where the goal is to score goals, get points, uh, kick, the, kick, the, kick the ball in the hoop. You don't kick the ball in the hoop. You kick the ball in the goal. You shoot the ball in the hoop. You're trying to score points. You're trying to win. You're trying to move the ball forward. Defense, on the other hand, is about thwarting the objectives of the people on the other side of the ball. Defense is about protection. Defense is about responding and reacting to what's happening around you. It's, it's to defend your goal. It's to defend your end zone, to thwart the offensive objective. So offense, moving the ball forward. Defense is about responding and protecting and guarding and reacting. Here's the deal. Up to this point in the book of Acts, all the way to chapter 20, once Paul came on the scene, he has been playing offense. We'll call it missional offense. He has been going, moving the ball forward, expanding the influence of the gospel, gaining ground, planting churches, integrating strategic centers in large cities where plants can grow, raising up leaders all the way to Antioch, to, to Asia Minor, to Athens. Paul's been playing offense, but he's about to go on defense for the next six chapters, which reminds me of a story. Um, you know, I, I used to be a pretty competent athlete back in the day. There I am. You see how I'm pushing up my bicep a little bit right there? Tricks of the trade. And so let me, let me, let me oh, I wasn't up there yet? Well, there I am. I'm handsome. I had hair back then, uh, but my wife hasn't seen me with hair in over a decade, and she's not interested in seeing what it looks like. But here's the deal. My senior year of high school, I was one of those kids that ended up needing to go to a Christian school, uh, because of poor choices. Praise God, that's where God got a hold of my heart. But we were a really good football team. And uh, my senior year, we had lost one game. We, we beat a state perennial powerhouse that was supposed to go all the way. And so we thought we really had a chance to go to the big show, the state championship. Second round of the playoffs, uh, we end up, I, I'm living down at Fort Myers, South Florida, down, uh, down south, two and a half hours away. We ended up, the second round of playoffs, coming to this little podunk town called Fort Meade. Let me paint a picture for you. It's Friday night. It's hot. It's muggy. And see, what had happened was I have my rec specs on. You know what rec specs are? No, let me show you a picture. This is Eric Dickerson. He makes them look much sexier than me. So rec specs are um, prescription sunglasses that have a strap around the head. It looked very goofy, but without them, I couldn't see anything. But, but what happened was it was very hot and muggy that night, and I, I, I couldn't see anything. My rest specs kept fogging up. And so I'm playing middle linebacker, okay? First play of the game. We kicked off. Fort Meade received it. They ran the ball back to the 50-yard line. Great field position to start the game. First play, it's a pass. I drop back into coverage. I can't see anything, so I'm just pretending by this time. And there's a bomb, 45-yard pass, touchdown, first play of the game. 
by this lanky, tall, white boy that goes by the number nine. I'll introduce you to him in a second. Suffice to say, we lost the game. It was a lack of defense, but we played our hearts out. It was a valiant effort. But my high school career ended at the hands of this guy, number nine, the Dustin Woods. First time I ever met him. Dustin, if you're watching, we were going places, man. No hard feelings. Maybe a little bit. I still hold on to a little bit. How many of y'all still vicariously lived through your high school football careers, man? Yeah, let it go, gentlemen. Let it go. Here's the deal. Our defense was lacking that day. Paul's defense was not. Acts chapter 21, verse 17, all the way to 26. Paul moves from missional offense to missional defense. Five speeches he's going to give in this five to six chapter section where he stands his ground and defends his gospel, his integrity, the call of God on his life. The first speech is going to be in front of the massive crowds of Jewish people that have gathered from Pentecost. And they end up trying to beat him and tear the limbs off of his body. The next time he's going to give a speech is when he's in front of the Jewish Sanhedrin, the same council of Jewish leaders that put Jesus to death. Ananias, same high priest. He ends up getting smacked around there in Acts 23. There's a plot to kill Paul in 23. He gets moved out at night to Caesarea Philippi. And now he's going to stand before Felix the governor, who's a chump. Festus the governor, who gets put there because Felix is a chump. And then he's going to stand before King Agrippa I, the great grandson, or grandson, I believe, of King Herod I. He was the king over all Judea. And there's something very interesting about what Paul does. Because Paul was a brilliant tactician. Nobody could argue this man. He could argue circles around you. He knew rhetoric. He knew argumentation. He knew defense. But every time he got up to share and give a speech, he leveraged everything that he had to say in his story. He shared who he was, who God was to him, what God had done. He shared his testimony. It's one of the most powerful tools that any of us have as we likewise live in a season of missional defense. See, it's very interesting. Paul had all the facts and he could have argued many, many, many times over all of these folks, but Paul also understood nobody gets argued into the kingdom of God, but nobody can argue with a transformed life. See, the greatest story there ever is, is I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I am found. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. And for those of us in here who have tasted of the rescue and the redemption of Jesus, all of us have a I once was, but now I am. And so Paul leverages his story in such a way over and over and over again that he says, you know who I used to be. Let me tell you about who I am after having a run-in with the crucified, risen Savior, Jesus. Now, doesn't mean that he wasn't struggling. Let me anchor these six chapters in one verse, 23 verse 11. Acts 23 verse 11, look with me. Paul got discouraged. He was a man just like us. Acts 23 verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, you got to go to Rome to do the same thing. You're going to testify in Rome as well. Here's the deal, folks. Paul had aggravated the two centers of power in the world. 
Jerusalem was the religious center of the empire for Jews and Christians. Rome was the political center of the empire. And Paul had aggravated both, and he had to give a reckoning to both. This is Paul living out the call of God on his life. And we could go on. We could go on. Again, Paul's got a plot, 23. He finds out they're trying to kill him, and he gets moved on and on and on until he gets all the way to Rome. And then for two years, Paul is under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard, 24 hours a day, four-hour spots, and he starts writing the word of God. Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon. Those of you here, here last Wednesday night, y'all had a treat, man. Me and Dustin just started just opening up our hearts and talking about what God did through Paul writing in this season of the prison epistles and some of the most rich theological content we've ever received by the mouth of God. But Paul began writing in that season of missional defense. And here's what I want you to see, because here's your homework, Acts 21, 17 to 26. You got to go and read that. You're going to need to have that read by the time next week Dustin unpacks Acts 27. But here's what we see all throughout these six chapters. Paul is playing defense. His faith was on trial. His witness was under duress. Here's my question for y'all this morning. Is your faith on trial? Here's the thing, GBC. It is not lost on us that this conversation throughout the book of Acts just might have been discouraging for many of you in this room. And I'll explain why in a moment. We have talked for the last six months at length about living on mission, missional offense, moving the ball forward, fulfilling the Great Commission, making disciples where you live, where you work, where you learn, where you play. But as Dustin and I were reading through these passages this week, preparing for this message, it, it dawned on us that we haven't just been talking about mission the last six months. We've been talking about mission the last two years. And it's not lost on us that some of you might feel that you have no way of living on mission. You have no idea how to wrap your mind around this call of being a disciple maker. There's a good chance that you are the only Christian you know. And you don't have any believers living with you at home. That you would love to open up your table and invite your neighbors around a meal to get to know their stories. But it's not your table. And the other people you live with, they're not interested in living in community and on mission. Maybe you're the only Christian in your workspace and you just don't know how to engage confidently people in conversations rooted in the gospel. There's some good news for you this morning. Some of us are called to go and live on mission. Some of us are forced to stay and live on mission. Paul wants to give us some steps towards adopting a posture of missional defense this morning. He wants us to know how we can stay rooted and stay firm and be confident on mission when there don't seem to be any avenues to move the ball forward. Paul wants to encourage us this morning in a posture of missional defense because literally Paul can't go anywhere. He's bound up in chains. He can't get out of the situation he's in. Folks are plotting to kill him. Political leaders are jockeying to use him for their own advantage. And so I wanna introduce you to some plays from the playbook of Paul's missional defense. I am, I am killing this sports analogy, aren't I? I'm very proud of myself. I want to take a few plays from Paul's 
playbook. And to do that, we're going to step out of the book of Acts and we're going to step into the book of Philippians. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. Here's why. I told you Paul was writing the word of God when he was in prison. Paul, while he was in a season of missional defense, God used him to begin to encourage the people of God from a place of not being able to see the ball move forward the way he used to. Instead, in chains, God used him to write some letters that have been canonized in scripture and encouragement to the body of Christ forevermore. And so I've got two steps of missional defense for the heart and one step for the hands. Two steps towards adopting a posture of missional defense for the heart, one for the hands. Philippians chapter 1. This is for you, folks. If you feel like you just don't know how to move the ball on the offensive side of mission, we've got you. Here are a few steps towards adopting a posture of missional defense. First one, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul writes to his brothers and sisters in Philippi, And I am confident... And sure of this, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it all the way until the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. Real talk, how many of y'all got some unfinished projects laying around the house? Yeah, indicting, isn't it? In Christ, none of us are going to be unfinished projects. God promised to begin a work in us and to complete that work. And he knew what he was getting when he rescued you and redeemed you and called you out of darkness and placed you in the kingdom of his son. He knew what he was getting and he began the good work and he's going to finish that work. And so here's a step towards a posture of missional defense. You ready? Here it is. Let's start leaning more into God's commitment to us than our commitment to him. Let's start leaning more into God's commitment to do what he promised to do rather than our commitment to do for him. Folks, when the going gets tough, our commitment wanes. God's commitment never wanes. How many of you may used to go to Promise Keepers conferences? Okay. I, I loved that ministry. I think their foundation was a little awry. There's only one Promise Keeper. There's one promise keeper, and his name is Jesus. And I think all of us in this place who love Jesus and belong to him, all of us want the people around us to know that we love Jesus, and we want them to taste and to see that Jesus is good. One of the steps towards moving in that direction, even when we see no other avenues towards offense, is to start to lean more into God's commitment to us. God is committed, committed, committed to making disciples through you, more so than you are. Do you believe that? Because to the degree that we believe that, we will find a motivation to keep plowing forward, to keep trusting Jesus, even when we don't see anything happening. Let's lean more into God's commitment to us than our commitment to him. God knows what he's doing. GBC, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, He is faithful to complete that word. Second step towards missional defense. Second step, chapter 1, Philippians. Look at verse 12. There's a lot of steps. These aren't the only ones. These are just a couple. Chapter 1, verse 12. Second step towards adopting a posture of defense while on mission. Verse 12. I want you to know, Paul writes, brothers, sisters, I need you to know 
that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Say advance. Paul says, I I need you to know that what's happened to me, it's really for the good of the gospel. What happened to him? He's in prison. He's under house arrest. He can't go anywhere. He's not even sure if he's going to make it out alive. How do you know? Go read the rest of chapter one. Paul's like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. It's better to go and to be with Christ, but I really don't know. I'm, I'm pulled between two places. I know I want to be with Jesus, but I, I should stay here. Paul's not even entirely convinced he's going to make it out of this thing alive. And yet Paul wants these Philippian brothers to know that what's happened to me has served to make a greater progress in advance of the gospel. What's the advance? Well, look at verse 13. Everybody in the imperial palace, in Caesar's palace, not Vegas, but Rome, everybody in the imperial guard of Caesar's palace, they know that I'm here because of Jesus. Can you imagine somebody like Paul being chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, four hours each shift being like, hey, I need you to know, buddy, I'm not a prisoner of Caesar. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Let me explain what that means. I'm a doulos. I'm a slave to Jesus Christ and his cords of love have me tethered to him. These chains don't mean anything. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Everybody heard that from Paul. But not only that, verse 14, many Most of the brothers and sisters in Philippi, man, they became more confident to preach the word of God with boldness and zeal because Paul was in prison. Now, why was Paul writing these things to the Philippian believers? Because their eyes were fixed on his chains. Paul's eyes were fixed on the Lord of his chains. And he needed the Philippian believers to adopt a perspective shift, a change in seeing the way God sees things. Now, what is the step towards a missional posture from this passage? Here it is. We practice missional defense when we begin to look for Jesus in all the things at all times. All the things at all times. Now, this is harder said than done. Because none of us naturally gravitate towards optimism and joy when things are not going our way, when life is falling apart, when the chains around us seem to bind us, when we can't find any hope, when our feelings are constantly plummeting. It's difficult. But adopting a posture of defense and asking God to give us eyes to see Jesus at work at all times in all of the things, here's what it does. It begins to build our spiritual muscle and it allows us to adopt a superpower. How many of y'all want a superpower? I want a superpower. Here's the superpower we get. We get the see-through power of God. The see-through power of God. When we start looking for Jesus in all the things at all times. You know what the see-through power of God is? The see-through power of God is a place of maturity in our faith. When we start looking at our circumstances and we do not judge them on the basis of whether they are good for me or bad for me, but that they are God for me. That's a place of maturity, folks, that is able to look at something like cancer and say, all right, God, I wouldn't have written this into the story, but I know you're up to something. Because you are a God who is love, which means there is nothing you can bring into my life that is incongruent with your love for me. 
so you must be up to something, God. Give me eyes to see that I might know you and be an expression of your life in this diagnosis, in this circumstance, in this crisis, in this fill in the blank. We're talking about a big view of God. Paul was able to see that because he knew that God was always at work, regardless of the circumstances in his life. Because he knew that God wouldn't waste anything, anything in his life. This is a Romans 8.28 theology. Romans 8.28. God causes all things, say all things. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. This doesn't mean that we call bad good. This does mean that God can even take the bad in our life and convert it to our good and his glory, to the good of those around us. This is a God that's not going to waste anything in our lives. Psalm 119.15, all things are your servants, O Lord. You could sit on that passage for the rest of your life and begin to see that God wastes nothing in our life. And Paul understood Paul understood that the same staff that Moses wielded, the same sling that David swung, that his chains were a tool in the hands of a mighty God. And it was his chains that were making advance in the gospel. This is, this is really unique, folks, because that word there, advance, I made you say it, that word advance it's, it's a neat word in the original language. How many of you have ever seen that old Disney Tarzan movie? You remember that scene where, where the safari leader is walking through and he's got the machete and he's hacking all of the underbrush to make a path to get through where there wasn't a path? That's the word that Paul is using. He's literally saying that the gospel was being moved through his chains in such a way that they were cutting a brand new path that was never there before. This word was used of army engineers who would literally go before the regular army and cut a path in the dense forest where there wasn't a path before. That's what Paul's chains were doing for him in prison. And I need you to see that this wasn't Paul moving the gospel forward. This was his chains. What are your chains? What is your unforeseen and overwhelming circumstance that you are convinced if God would just take this, then you could fill in the blank? I want to invite you to pray a different prayer. God, how might I lift these chains up to you to be used for the sake of your kingdom? Give me a perspective change. Missional defense. We look for Jesus in all the things at all times. Now, how can you do this? How can we do this? I'm glad you asked because Paul got discouraged. Paul felt defeated at times. What do you think enabled him to learn to live with this kind of perspective? Oh, I don't know. Maybe he leaned more into God's commitment to him than his commitment to God. These postures of missional defense, they go together. We trust that God's commitment is greater. We look for Jesus at all times and in all the things, believing that God is at work. Missional defense for the heart. There are your two steps. We have one more posture, one more step towards missional defense. This is, this is for the hands. Philippians chapter two, look with me. Verse three and four. 
here is a simple, practical application for those of you that feel like you have no, no way to live on mission where you live, work, learn, and play. This is for you. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. You ready? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less and thinking of others more. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Boy, does that rub against the grain of the culture in which we live. This is the life of Jesus that we have been joined to. Verse four, let each of you look not only to his own interests. We still need self-care, folks. We need to make sure that we create margin in our life to listen for our heavenly father's voice and eat well and get enough sleep and take care of ourselves. But we can't be the only person we care about. Don't look out only for the interests of yourselves, verse four, but also to the interests of others. Here's a step towards missional defense for the hands. You ready? Here it is. It's very simple. Let's start elevating other people's stories more than our own. Let's start caring more about other people more than ourselves. Jesus could go to the cross and be beaten and broken and spill his blood for us because he knew the Father had his back. And to the degree that we know that Jesus has our back, that he is loving us and meeting our needs, Philippians 4, according to his riches that are in Christ Jesus, then as I've said before, we can step in a room like this, not looking for love, but with love. Because we know that our needs are being met in Jesus Christ and we can start to elevate other people and count them more significant than ourselves. That's how we're gonna see walls come down in this country that is so divided we start to care about people and their stories want to live on mission you want to see the needle move even if you're on defense start caring more about other people's stories listen i've done this hundreds of times everyone's favorite subject is themselves (laughs) let them talk about themselves and care about that This is an evangelism practice that will radically transform the kind of fruit we see when we engage people in gospel conversations. And I'm convinced and convicted that we need to have some evangelism classes to teach us to learn how to live in community and on mission. You don't need to know the Bible. You need to care about people. We might be having a Grace University class on evangelism practices soon. I better see you there. Start asking questions. Start being curious about other people. And as you start to learn their stories, take them to the throne room of God and ask God to start to change their heart towards him and your heart towards them. It's gonna change the world, folks. And you can do that even if you're not on mission. Now listen, I'm sorry, warden. I gotta do it, though. I am getting to see missional defense play out in real time as I've been able to be a part of the ministry out at Avon Park Correctional Institute for the last couple of years. We have men and women who have been engaged in the Department of Corrections for decades and who have not had the freedom to advance the gospel 
but instead have played defense for decades. And because of y'all's obedience, Warden, not only are we now planting a church out at the prison, but man, we've got plans to launch a program for the first time in the state of Florida that has the possibility to transform the Department of Corrections, not just in the state, but in the entire country, because we have the possibility of the Church of Jesus Christ in one community owning an entire prison and making sure that those inmates are loved and cared for so that when they get out and enter back into society, they have a place that accepts them that loves them, that believes that the gospel is powerful enough to transform their lives. And these brothers and these sisters, yes, amen to that. But don't just clap for it because in the next six months to a year, we're gonna need you. We're gonna need you. More on that to come. Dewey Lehman, one of our own elders, has worked out at APCI for 20 plus years and he has quietly and consistently and significantly and covertly trusted Jesus, leaned into God's commitment to him, looked for Jesus at all the times, and has celebrated the microscopic movements of God, one small conversation after another. And can I tell you folks, I am seeing incredible fruit, things that I can't even imagine. Because God continues to assemble a team out there from wardens to majors to captains to guards to inmates who love Jesus and are committed to the mission. It's amazing, folks. And God longs to do the same thing in and through you, whether on offense or defense. We all have a role to play. And this conversation is important because when we're done with Acts, we're not going to stop talking about mission. We have been called to the mission of loving God and loving people where we live, work, learn, and play. And part of that is going to be us being convinced that God's heart for us is just as passionately for the people around us. Oh God, would you give these folks a passion for the people in their world across the street, in their neighborhood, where they work out, where they pick up their groceries, where they work their nine to five. So convince God that your heart and your passion towards them is as rich as it is towards us, your children. God, give us confidence to believe that you are for us and you are for others. Jesus, we don't have any other options. We have no other choices. This is the call of God on our life as this unique expression of the body of Christ called Grace Bible Church. We commit our hands and our hearts and our heads and our time and our treasure and our talents to you, God, believing that you are more committed to saturating the heartland with the good news of your gospel. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.